Well, I think I've got a little bit of whatever Sheila had. I was caught up in the Holy Spirit at a cross-country meet yesterday, <clears throat> screaming my lungs out for the kids. And um, then I had a wedding uh, that I officiated here last night. And then I went home and yelled at my TV screen as Missouri somehow pulled out a victory. Yes. And uh, then I flipped over to the Royals and was disappointed because they got so close and then didn't pull it off. So um, it's, been a, it's been a long uh, emotional weekend. But um, uh, for those of you that are new uh, here this morning, we started a series. Uh, this is, I think, the fourth Sunday. And it's based on a video uh, series called For the Life of the World. And uh, so we've watched uh, two parts of that uh, video series, um, and we've been kind of unpacking some of the truths uh, in there. And the big question that we've been wrestling with for a few weeks is this question is, what is our salvation for? What is our purpose in this brief time that we have here on earth? Citizens of heaven, but living as exiles here in St. Joseph, Missouri. And in the video last week, the main character, Evan, he talked about stewardship, And we all kind of listed and rattled off uh, several things in our life that God has entrusted us with. And we talked about things like our family and our time and our finances and our relationships and our possessions, our talents, our abilities. And the point was made that um, each of us brings all of those things that God has entrusted to us to a community of faith. And that in that community then, God takes all those parts and kind of blends it into this collective song that's to be a blessing to the world and specifically a blessing to the city in which we've been called to live. And every one of us here this morning is a part of this church community because God has called you to be here. He has, he has specifically put you into this family. And each of us has a role to play. Each of us has gifts to bring and to share. But the key question is this, is what song are we playing as a church community, as a family? What song are we playing? In the video, Evan said the song is what? Who remembers from last week? What is the song? Gift, right? All is gift, he said. All is gift. We hear this song being played throughout the grand narrative of Scripture. Okay, in the beginning, God created and he gave. Even before man was created, there were gifts waiting for him. There was the gifts of the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the rivers and the streams and the trees and the birds and the fish and the livestock and the puppies, right? All was gift created for our enjoyment and our pleasure. And then God made man and he gave him this gift of an intimate relationship with his creator. And then he saw that man was alone, and so he gave him the gift of woman. And to an emotional relationship, he added physical intimacy as well. And then he gave them this amazing, and some people would say somewhat risky gift called free will, right? He gave each of us the ability to choose to love him, to obey him, and to love one another, And we all know where that freedom to choose led us. It led us to sin and disobedience and ultimately to death. And so then God again had to give another gift 
to restore the fractured relationship between us and him, between our fellow humans because of the pride and the jealousy and the anger and the greed that had swept in to humanity. And so he gave himself. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gave. And gift is the song throughout Scripture. Paul puts it really well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. God, the ultimate gift giver, asks us to join him in his song. To to be a part in being a gift to the world around us, and specifically to the city in which we've been called. That's the purpose of our salvation. Gift receivers who then become gift givers. And the passage that we've been guiding, that's been guiding our discussion uh, these past few weeks is found in um, Jeremiah chapter 29. It's in the Old Testament. And the the Israelites at this point in the story we've talked about were, were carried off into exile by the Babylonians and they were carried off into the city of Babylon, which is now in present day Iraq. And they were... They were prisoners of war. They were exiles in a strange land. And so God sent them a letter through the prophet Jeremiah. And he said, this is how I want you to behave while you're in this this season of exile. So in Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7, it says this. He says, God is saying to his people, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so, in other words, God is saying, don't look back on the things that you had in Jerusalem. And don't look forward to this hope that maybe one day you'll return there. He's saying, I want you to be fully present to where you are now. Even though it might not be the, the conditions that you would choose, the, the city that you would choose to be in, whatever the case may be, I want you to be fully present there. I want you to live your life to the full, and I want you to seek and pray for the prosperity to the city of which you've been called, because if it goes well for them, it's going to go well for you too. Okay? Today I want to share a story with you about a man that some of you may have heard of. In 1981, there was a movie uh, made called Chariots of Fire. A lot of you weren't alive in 1981, so let me catch you up to speed on what happened. Um, It was a movie that was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It won four, including Best Picture for 1981, okay? And while you might not be familiar with the movie or the story, many of you are familiar with the song, right? Hit it, Todd. Right? All right, it's just like every slow motion background that you'll ever find, you know? Mm, just so good, isn't it? And in 1981, because I don't remember what month it came out, I would have been either 12 or 13, and I was like just starting running in middle school, you know, and that was kind of my thing. And so, man, I was like into this movie, right? It was like perfect for me. So the main character in the movie was this Scottish guy named Eric Liddell. 
And um, he was born in China. Uh, his parents were missionaries there. Um, but then he was back in Scotland going to college, and he, and he became this elite athlete, uh, so much so that he made the Olympic team. And in 1924, at the Olympics in Paris, he won gold in the 400 and bronze in the 200. But it's, it's really the medals that he didn't win, the races he didn't run, that kind of made him famous because the 100 meters was really his best event. But the qualifying uh, for the 100 was on a Sunday. And then looking ahead to the Olympics and the schedule that had already been printed, the 4x1 relay and the 4x4 relay that he would have been a part of were also on Sunday. And his religious convictions at that point in his life didn't allow him to run on the holy day on Sunday. And so he said, I can't run those races. And he took a lot of heat for those convictions, but he stood his ground. And a lot of people kind of know that story because they made a movie about it of that season of his life. But a lot of people don't know kind of what happened after the Olympics in 1924. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about the rest of the story. After the Olympics, as you can imagine, he returned to Scotland a national hero. I mean, not a lot of Scottish people win medals at the Olympics, right? You don't see guys in kilts crossing the line first very much, right? So, I mean, this guy could have lived a life of luxury based on that success. He also could have gone on and ran in more Olympics. He was still pretty young at the time and done a lot of things that would have, you know, given him a lot of glory. But instead, he chose to move to China to be a missionary and to join his brother and his parents who were still serving there in what at that time was becoming kind of a war-torn country. There was some infighting, but then also some attacks from the outside as well. And Lydell made a lot of sacrifices there. He he married a Canadian woman and had, well, that's not a sacrifice, but (laughs) at least I don't, I I don't know if it is. I've never married a Canadian, but... um, but he had two daughters, and then his wife was pregnant with their, what would be their third daughter, and he had to make a choice. The Japanese were kind of closing in at the beginning of World War II, taking over China, and it was not safe anymore. And so he sent his wife and his children and a daughter that he would never meet uh, back to Canada for safety. So he was there by himself, um, separated from his family, continuing to serve as a missionary, going from village to village, preaching the gospel until... Um, finally, the Japanese rounded up all foreigners and put them in a, an internment camp um, in 1943. And so surrounded by several other missionaries that were put in there, but really a lot of children and teenagers as well. And at this point of his life, separated from his family and exile in a strange land, um, the most triumphant season of Lydell's life was about to begin. And so the question is, how would he respond when he was in exile, how would he live? And so I want to share some uh, of the accounts of uh, people that kind of wrote about him and, and what he did with that time. And, and I think it's important for, you know, for me to put myself into that situation and, and how would I act when I was there. And knowing myself, I would have been pretty self-centered probably most of the time. It says, but rather than resenting his captivity, Liddell, like the Apostle Paul, saw it as an opportunity He became a leader at the camp and helped get it organized as food, medicine, and other supplies were in short supply. Lydell arose each morning to study his Bible, was described as the cheer of the camp. He busied himself by helping the elderly, teaching Bible classes, arranging games and activities, and teaching the children in a makeshift school. He found numerous ways to minister, especially to the young people who called him Uncle Eric. When one of the teenage girls expressed an interest in chemistry, Lydell took it upon himself to organize a chemistry class. 
Since there were no textbooks or supplies, he spent hours sketching equipment and detailing the results of experiments they could never perform. He also organized athletic events for the children, and his door was always open to any of them who needed him. His fellow prisoners would remember him as a man who did whatever he could do to help people, and they were especially impressed by the way he lived out his faith. He seemed to be a living example of the Sermon on the Mount. While Adele was helping the children of the Wysine internment camp, his own children, though, were missing him almost as much as he was missing them. Eric's oldest daughter, Patricia, often wondered why her father could not be with her. This question remained unanswered in her mind for many years until she met the children her father helped at the camp. Many of them were separated from their parents, and Patricia realized that God had used her father to help ease their suffering in an extremely difficult situation. Well, unfortunately, um, Eric uh, got what they later found out was a brain tumor, and he died in the camp in 1945, just a few months before it was liberated. One of the guys that was in there with him, a guy named Langdon Gilkey, he was an American, um, a prominent writer. He said this about Liddell. He said, often in an evening, I would see him bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary, and interested, pouring all of himself into this effort to capture the imagination of these penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life and with enthusiasm and charm. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. Seek the prosperity of the city, or in this case, the internment camp, to which you've been placed in exile. And so it's interesting to see how uh, his life, the way he responded under difficult circumstances, it reminds me of a verse that, that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he says this to the people in Thessalonica. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul says we were delighted to share. Gift givers, right? Um, I want you guys to go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 18. It's page 732. If you're using the Pew Bible. It's a parable you've probably heard before. And in, in my Bible, it has the heading, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So a Pharisee was a religious leader who was uh, really strict and devout um, and really trying to follow all of the Old Testament law, all couple of thousand different commands. And so their intention was, was good in the beginning. They really wanted to be devout because they felt like a lot of their fellow Jews had kind of turned their, their way, their heart from God. But they became really prideful and arrogant in that as well. Um, and then the other person is a tax collector. And during the Roman Empire, the Jews would use their own people to be the tax collectors. So they were kind of the traitors to their own people. They, they took a lot of money off the top for their own pocket. And so they would have been a hated person in society. The, the Jewish people would have seen the Pharisee as the really religious and righteous person. And, and the tax collector as the heathen. Okay? So in verse 9 it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what what comes to mind when I say the word generosity? What's the first word that comes to mind? Giving, what else? Helping. What's that? Okay, being selfless, yeah. Anybody think of the word money? Yeah, okay, when you hear somebody who's generous, you generally tend to think of that in a financial sense. So was the Pharisee generous? Yeah, I mean, the guy gave 10% of everything that he had. That's a lot more than a lot of us do, right? Americans on general, on average, give about 3% of their money away. Okay, and then and the numbers aren't much better for people that go to church. So this guy was pretty darn generous, right? But in reality, he was trumpeting his own perceived generosity. He was kind of worshiping himself, looking down on everybody else. He's technically generous with his money, but his heart is tight, right? The tax collector, on the other hand, in verse 13, he freely admits his sin and need for God, and he's begging for God's generosity. He's like, God, man, I need you to be generous to me. <laughs> I need you to, you know, have mercy on me. Pastor and author Tim Keller gave a message on this parable, um, and he talks about the different currencies of generosity, the different currencies of generosity. He says that it's possible to be financially generous, but not radically generous, okay? And he said radical generosity is pervasive generosity. That means that you're generous in many currencies, not just money, okay? That's what radical generosity is. And he lifts some of our currencies as these. Emotional space, physical space, relational space, time, and talents. So that's not an exhaustive list, okay? But these are some of the currencies that we have in life to be doled out. To, we've been given, you know, as stewards of these things. So let's look at each one. So if you are financially generous but emotionally stingy, that means that you're happy to write the check to the homeless shelter, but you don't really want to meet any of the homeless people, right? You don't want to be involved with their life. You don't want to know what's going on or how you can help beyond just financially providing, okay? Or maybe it's easy to write the check, but you're not really interested in being hospitable, hospitable with your physical space, in other words, you don't want those people coming to your house, walking on your, your nice white rug or putting a drink down on your fine coffee table, okay? On the other hand, some of us can be very generous with some currencies, but really stingy with our money, right? There's a lot of people that come to church and they're happy to give of their currencies of time and talents and they'll play in the band or mow the church lawn or work with children, but they'll rarely or very little give much of their financial means as well. So that's a currency they can be, they can be tied in. 
Others, others of us are stingy with our relational currency. We keep tabs with people of, of who owes us, right? We manipulate and hold things over people. But God is a radical gift giver, and he held nothing back from us. And he calls us, he says, guys, I want you to be my ambassadors in this world. I want you to represent me to this world. And so I want you to represent my heart of radical generosity. He calls us to live a life of giving instead of taking out of a fullness of our heart instead of an emptiness. And the reason that we're stingy in specific areas of our life is because we've chosen to make idols of things. If we're honest, that we have passions or desires in our life that outweigh our love for God. If we're honest, we really love those things more than we love God. We can make idols of our talents, our time, our emotions, our money, our physical space, our relationships. And at the end of the video last week, Evan asked this question. He says, what does it take to transform a city? If you remember, they let those lanterns go, you know, at the end of the video. And that's the question he's asking. And the answer, he said, is for all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, a chosen people living in exile while we await our permanent home in heaven, to imitate God by making our life a gift and offering it back to him for his glory and for the life of the world. That's kind of how he ended that video. Isaiah 32, 8 says this in the New Living Translation. But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. You see, generosity doesn't always happen spontaneously. Sometimes we have to actually plan to be generous. Okay? And so today we're going to practice planning to be generous. So inside your pews, there should be a bag, and inside of those bags are little bags, and inside of that bag is an even smaller bag. I'm just kidding. Okay, pass these down the row. If you're on the inside, each person in your row should get one of these. If you've got some extras and some people need some, try to pass those around and share them. I've got plenty of extra because nobody sits by me. So... If you need one, let me know. We'll get, get some to you. Okay. Pass those down. There you go. So inside the bag is a card. Okay. And at the end of each video that we're going to watch during this series, you see the main character, Evan, sitting down and writing a letter. And he always starts it to everybody. Okay. And so that's what the card says to everybody. In the from part, I want you to put your name there. Okay, there's pins in front of you if you need one. And then on the back, what I'm going to invite you to do is to make a commitment to be generous in a new way. Something that goes outside of the normal way in which you tend to want to be generous Okay, so an example as we were kind of talking about this message, Justin was talking about, like he has this gift to drum, but, but drumming doesn't really demand a whole lot from him because he loves it so much. It's an easy gift for him to share. And so for him, it's thinking outside of kind of what's naturally comes easy for him to think about something that maybe he might be a little stingy in, a currency that 
where he knows I'm just not very generous with one of those categories that I put up there. And I need to grow and I need to be stretched in that way. And before you write anything, I want you to take a minute and I want you to think. Okay? And I want you to think about what are, what are you already involved in? Where has God already placed you? Uh, maybe in, in a group or with the students or a team that you're a part of or at work or, or some kind of community of people. Because I really want you to avoid generalities and I want you to really get specific. Okay? So a bad goal would be, let's say that physical space is just an issue for you. You don't really like people coming over to your house and messing it up, you know? And uh, so your goal might be, I'm going to invite somebody over to dinner. Who? When? Okay? So I want you to think specifically, like, who are the people that I would do this with? Uh, how am I going to be stretched? So for me, um, I know I coach the cross-country team at Central, so that's 40 kids and their families that God has placed me in that I need to look around and say, how could I be generous in a way that I'm normally not that would really stretch me and be a blessing and a gift to other people, okay? So asking the question, what might God might be calling me to do? And then thinking about what's the collective potential if all of us were focused on being generous in a way that stretched us, the impact that that could have. What would it look like if we were all radical gift givers? Like Eric Liddell, who in that moment of, you know, having so many circumstances that were not great, I'm sure there were a lot of times he didn't feel like playing chess or putting on a square dance, or I mean, whoever feels like putting on a square dance, but you know, there were probably many times when he was just exhausted and hungry, who knows what the conditions were, and he overcame those things because he wanted to be a gift giver. And while you're kind of doing that, we're also going to be kind of preparing ourselves to take communion this morning, and communion, when you come to the table, it's a reminder of a gift. As we talked about, God had to send the gift of his son, to to repair that fractured relationship between us and him. And so we're participating in a gift to us when we remember Christ and his sacrifice as we take communion this morning. So what you're gonna do is as we give some silence, and we might give a little bit more today than normal, you might need some time to think and and reflect on what would be a good way for you to be stretched is is write down um, that deal on your little tag and then you can... um, Uh, so put it back into the bag, correct? Yes. And uh, you can come up and you can just, uh, when you come up to take communion, you can just hang it on the tree. Okay, there. Just as a visual reminder that'll be there for a while of, of all of us kind of coming together to give our gifts uh, for the good of the city of St. Joseph and the people that God has placed in our life. And so I'll ask the communion givers to kind of spread out to the side a little bit to give some space for that up here. Let me go ahead and pray. As we head into this time this morning, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you, uh, in your nature, are a gift giver. God, that your desire is just to pour out yourself. God, you, you left nothing behind. You pour out your very blood, your very life, so that we might live. And God, you have placed us in St. Joseph in Wellspring Church to be a blessing to the city. And God, as we look at our own lives, we recognize that there are some currencies that we are stingy in, that we're happy to give of ourselves in this way or that way, but man, don't ask me to do that. 
because uh, that makes me uncomfortable or challenges me in a way I don't want to be challenged. But God, you really ask us to give all of ourselves in every way, every currency, to be pervasively generous. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us very specifically, that we could make a concrete goal here in the next week or two to just act on uh, an, an act of generosity towards someone, to be a gift giver to someone else, and just to spread everywhere the aroma of the kingdom of God in this city in a way that would be a blessing to someone who's could just really use some encouragement and some love. So Lord, hear our prayers and our uh, commitments to you during this time.